1: That's right, Last Stand Podcast. I am Brian Custer. We bring you the biggest names in sports and entertainment, and we got a big one uh, for this episode. He's an NFL innovator, first quarterback to rush for over 1,000 yards. In fact, he was the top pick in the National Football League in 2001. In fact, he was also the first person to sign a 10-year, $100 million contract. Real redemptive story. He's now uh, my Fox Sports colleague. He's an NFL analyst on Fox Sports. He's none other than Michael Vick. Mike, welcome to the Last Stand Podcast.
0: Ryan, thanks for having me, man. I'm I'm trying to get my earphones working, and I'm I'm messing around with, with <laughs> AirPods. They're not living up to standard
1: right now. So hopefully everybody can hear my audio. You sound great, my brother. Uh, so how are you, man? I mean, I know you 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 now live in in Florida and Boy, that was like the center of the pandemic and raging. How is the family? How are you? What is it like living there, considering the pandemic? Uh, the family's doing great uh, right now. Um,
0: I'm down in Virginia Beach, Virginia, um, close to my hometown, Newport News, where I, where I grew up, um, and being able to be here and spend time with family. You know, throughout the pandemic, I felt like um, you know, leaving there, and coming home, and being close to to my my loved ones was very important. So we came down here as soon as it got bad, like right at the beginning of April. And uh, we've just been here ever since. So um, the family's doing good. My kids are doing great. Um, they're a little ex- excited that school might be virtual. They're still waiting on a verdict on that. But uh, <laughs> it's been a family affair, and, I, and I'm very appreciative to have this time with them right now. All uh, right, fantastic,
1: my brother. Um, you know, let's talk a little football because If you were playing in the National Football League right now, and there's so many players you hear concerned about the protocols, what is it going to be, how is training camp going to be in the season, would Michael Vick play in light of everything that's going on?
0: You know, I would be very nervous. Um, I would want to know details. I would want to know, am I covered? Uh, Obviously, the the rules are going to be different, changes are going to be made, and you know, ultimately the competitor inside of you wants to be out there, but you also have to think about yourself, think about your family, think about people that that you're around. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of like, you, you just don't know, you know? So I, I think I'll be leaning towards not playing until, you know, some type of uh, cure was put in place or vaccination. And I know for certain that I'm not in danger. Um, and, and it's just an unfortunate situation. Very trying times for us as a country right now and uh, you know, more the reason why we gotta we gotta get through this thing together. Do you
1: do you think it's be, uh the younger Michael Vick would probably lean more towards playing if you didn't have a family, didn't have kids, and it seems like most of the younger guys in the league who don't have families or kids, like, yeah. okay, I wanna play, whereas the guys who have families think about it a little differently.
0: Right. Guys who have families they're more you know, catered towards their family and, and, and wanting to do what's right. The guys who are kind of, you know, probably living a single life and, uh, um, you know, just balling out. Uh, they want to get back out there. It's entertaining. It's fun. Um, and, you know, pretty much they have to just worry about themselves. And, and we all understand that. But uh, it, it's not the case for everybody. And, you know, we all got to, you know, approach this with, with precaution and and, and not be too antsy. But I think the younger version of myself would have probably wanted to get out, want to get out there and and, and make some plays because that was all I knew, you know, come July, late July, August for, you know, 25 years. So, you know, it it, it was just something that became routine and I know I would have been itching to get out there.
1: What do you think about uh, today's athletes, especially now using their platform for social justice, racial equality, and it seems as if the NFL now is somewhat on board supporting them uh, with that because, you know, when Colin Kaepernick came out a few years back, he got blackballed, got ridiculed for it. Many didn't want to support him. What do you think about today's athletes now? Do you think you got a sense that they feel more comfortable doing it? Oh, man, you know what? Today's
0: athletes are so comfortable, you know, within their own skin and and saying, you know, what they – been wanting to say for a long time you know regardless of it being political or regardless of them not being able to say certain things you know now they feel like they can stand up and it, it took a tragedy you know a, a catastrophic situation to happen you know for everybody to open their eyes and you know I'm just happy that the NFL has kicked into gear and want to get involved in helping every player across the National Football League and their cause you know if it's in regards to social justice, you know, social reform, you know, they all in. So, you know, the unity I feel, I feel that, and 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 I'm I'm proud of the players, you know, current, past, and form, because, you know, they, everybody's stepping up. Everybody's saying, look, we got to do something right now. You know, right. now is the time to take a stand. You know, we got everybody's attention. You know, for all the right reasons, and we're gonna take advantage of it, and we're not gonna let this moment in time, you know, go by without finding some type of cure, some type of answers, uh, because it's going to affect generations to come. And we don't want to see this happen again, especially to the younger generation. I got daughters that I love dearly, and I want to see them grow up and be successful, and, and hopefully find a person that they want to be with, not know, you know, person that, you know, we have to, you know, be concerned about, you know, I mean, black, white, and different, you know, we all got to strive to make change, you know, so. You know, I, I got a lot of motivation coming from a lot of different areas, and I'm
1: pretty sure a lot of players do. But I'm extremely proud of everyone. You know, we had um, Steven Jackson on, on the podcast, and you know, it obviously made a lot of news because he initially he had came out and supported Deshaun Jackson, who who had put that that post up that was anti-Semitic. Um, he obviously Steven has since apologized. So has Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. Um, but you know. Stephen made the point that he was upset because Deshaun Jackson called him and said the Eagles, when it first came out, the Eagles were going to cut him. And, and so Stephen's point was, listen, this is my friend. When Riley Cooper came out and said the N-word, they didn't talk about cutting him. And a year or so later, he gets the contract extension. That was Stephen's uh, point. I think it's interesting because at that time, you were the quarterback. Of the yeah. Eagles and you had to be the peacemaker so to speak because everybody came to you. So what advice would you give the Eagles to make sure that this situation doesn't wreck their locker room?
0: I would say this because I was in the locker room when that happened in 2013 and I, and I was very shocked um, when I seen that video uh, with Riley Cooper in the video because for one I didn't look at Raleigh as that type of person. I didn't, you know, I don't see racism. I don't see color. But when I seen it, I'm like, damn, is this really you? Yeah. You know, and that's the only thing you can question. Is this really you? And me and him had a conversation right before we had a team meeting. And, you know, during the team meeting, and I'm going to tell you everything that happened, Brian. Yeah. During the team meeting, um, you know, Chip tells everybody what happened. Uh, you know, he actually, anybody, everybody, do they want to, you know, say something, you know, to follow up with what he said. Um, And he was pretty much saying what, you know, you know, why we were standing there, you know, we were standing there for a reason because of Riley using the N-word. Any questions, nobody wanted to say anything. Tip looked at me. I felt like as the leader of the team, I didn't know what I was going to say at the time, Brian. I was just like, look, man, you know, we, we've all, we know that this exists. We just didn't know this, this existed in our locker room. And I'm not saying rallies a racist, but look, whatever you want to take from that, that's what you take from it. We have to find a way to move forward and get through this and be bigger than the situation. And we worked through it. And Deshaun was one of those guys who I had to influence to speak to rally again, to not look at Riley a certain way, and a bunch of other guys. And it wasn't easy. You know, I had to, you know, kind of, you know, unite everybody, you know, within like two days before we play the game. And so I want the Eagles, you know, to be mindful, and I know they will. Um, you know, and let this be a learning experience for for Deshaun. He learned that look, I can't just post anything, uh, you know, whatever I believe you you got you got a platform to express it. Just make sure, you know, you're accurate with that. And I think that was the biggest thing with this whole um you know, situation with Deshaun, you know, it was just some uh, inaccurate things that, you know, that came out. Um, but definitely a learning experience for him. Um and I know he'll do better and, and I know he'll he'll learn from this. And uh the Eagles will support him through and through. They love Deshaun. I know Howie Roseman and, and Doug Peterson, they love DJ and, and Jeffrey Lurie. So it'll all work out. It's it's educational piece
1: that comes behind it now. Do you think, you know, because the climate now, especially now, is so much different. Yep. Back then, could you say what you really wanted to say? Or, you know, like if this happened now, you could say what you really wanted to say. But yeah. then did you did you feel like you had to be politically correct?
0: Yeah, that was a lot of times in my career where I felt like I had to be politically correct. And a couple of days ago, I was on, uh, you know, Undisputed and I was just talking about how my coach had raised me growing up and saying, look, if you want to play the quarterback position, you need to dress better. You need to be, you know, you need to look apart, you know, like you need to look apart on the field, off the field. And I'm like, Hey, that sounds pretty cool. You know, he never told me you had to talk a certain way. You know, I came, you know, from where I grew up, you know, I didn't understand, you know, whatever language that you needed to speak. I just, I was just being myself. And, um, You know, but I always kept that in the back of my mind. And it wasn't just me feeling like I had to be political. It was just about having respect. Mm -hmm. You know, having respect for uh, the person who employed me, having respect for my coaches, having respect for my teammates. And I kind of just went about it that way. You respect me, I respect you, regardless of color. I love you, you love me, regardless of color. And um, it it worked out pretty well, but you can't explain that to everyone. Everyone don't understand that everyone is not a – not a quarterback and held to a different standard, you know? So yes, I felt the pressure of having to be political a lot, but it helped shape and mold me as a person. And now I can help teach other young men, um, you know, just how to conduct themselves. There's no perfect way to do it. And nowadays you can just be yourself and, and you can be accepted. And uh, I've seen that, you know, throughout the course of my career with black quarterbacks, white quarterbacks, uh, it, it's been all good. So I I, I can speak and say, that that part, um, you know, really was something that I learned from. I, I, I respected it, and I appreciated it, and uh, it made me a better person, better man.
1: What, what can you tell us about uh, Deshaun Jackson? I mean, he's already talked to a Holocaust survivor. He said he's going to yeah. go to Auschwitz. He wants to go to the Holocaust Museum. You, you know him well. Have you talked to him? What, what can you tell us? What kind of guy is Deshaun Jackson?
0: Man, Deshawn is a great guy, man, and the thing is – I. I don't even have to speak to him to know, you know, what he's going through and, and how he's going to approach this. And, um, you know, when you make a mistake, you know, if, if it's, you know, considered a huge mistake, um, you know, then you just find ways to correct it without feeling like, you know, it happened in a form of ignorance. You know, um, Deshaun's a very smart man. Uh, I think he was speaking out on just all of the the inconsistent things that's going on in our society, um, you know, he just happened to get the message wrong, but, you know, I, I, we understand what he, the message he's trying to convey, you know, if, if at all. So like Deshaunza, he, he got good people around him. And like I say, this has to be an opportunity for him to learn from this and go out and teach, you know, that, you know, you make a mistake or if you got, you're going to throw out some facts. They better be accurate facts, you know, because we all listening. We all want to know each one, teach one. He can educate me. He can educate. And then I looked into it and I was like, Oh, okay. So I understand. All right, let's find a way to help Jack get through this.
1: Yeah. We're definitely Um, a great man. Absolutely. Uh, Let's talk some football. Uh, And let's start with uh, the Dallas Cowboys. So Dak Prescott, you know, signs his tender, but doesn't get the long-term deal uh, like some of the guys got. Uh, before the deadline. So now he's going to play under the franchise tender here for, and not, don't get me wrong, I mean, $31 million is a lot of money. Yeah, so yeah, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of he's, cake. He's, but as a, as a quarterback, when you don't get the, the long term deal and you don't get the security that you're looking for, and you're looking around and your running back, your defensive lineman, everyone else has gotten one, Psycholo- psychologically, Will Doc, Dak Prescott, will that be a problem going into the season for the
0: Cowboys? Um, based on Dak's reaction, uh, I think he's just blessed to have something. Um, if we know what Dak has meant to the Dallas Cowboys over the last three years. I think the Dallas Cowboys organization uh, realizes what Dak has been to them. Uh, he's been a winner. Uh, he's been consistent. You know, he's been durable. And, of, of course, you're going to be evaluated and scrutinized like, down to a T, And And um, maybe it's something big out there for Dak. You know, I know this. If the Dallas Cowboys don't want Dak next year, somebody else will. And I think Dak is just comfortable. He know he'll be with his teammates for this, this season. He know he got another year to go out and prove himself because that's what it's all about, B. You got to go out and prove yourself. You got to go out and play. You got to make those plays, man. You got to study. You got to make... The organization really wants you. And I, and I think he's taking on that responsibility. And it's so cool to see when I seen that the deal didn't happen, but then I seen that Dak was satisfied. I'm like, there's, there's a young man who's going to go on far in life because he's very appreciative of the things that's in front of him right now and the opportunities that
1: he has moving forward. Does it affect the locker room, though? Does other guys look around and be like, "Mm, man, they didn't take care of Dak, and he's done everything right, and he's the quarterback? Will it affect the locker room, you think?
0: I mean, guys gonna look around and be like, man, that could have turned out different. Um, You know, but they also understand that this is a business, and it's a reason, you know, it's a cause and effect behind everything. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with, with Dak's play. When I think about his play, I don't think about, uh, him being inconsistent in any shape, form, or fashion. Uh, i always seen good, solid football and, if you know, I was a general manager. I can build a team around this guy. And the cool part about Dak is, you know, when he came um, out of uh, was it Mississippi, Texas State? In Mississippi State. I always get that confused. When he came out of Mississippi State, I, I kind of looked at him as a guy who was going to be uh, you know, fourth round, fifth round pick and you know, not the superstar that he became. And so he he showed me and everybody that, listen, I'm not, he's really not a diamond in the rough, but that he can play the quarterback position. He was in a different looking offense, the RPO stuff. And, you know, he comes and runs Jason Garrett's offense like it was nothing. So um, just showed that he was a smart young man, very intelligent and understood the game of football.
1: Um, When a, you were the first to see a 10-year $100 million deal you got 130 in 2004 when you were with the Falcons so now Patrick Mahomes gets his $500 million for that's 10
0: years that's a lot years. of money
1: that's a lot of money bro that's a lot of money now you, you can explain to us how the NFL works will he actually see all of that 500 million
0: so a lot of people have been asking me about this contract and of course you know it's, it's heavily backloaded and it's, it's very incentive based but when I looked at some of the parameters of the of the deal, he got a, a bunch of incentives in there that he can he can very well touch, uh, and he can hit um, MVPs and passing titles and Super Bowls. We we know he's going. I know he's going to get back at some point. Um, Andy already cooking up plays for him for this season, like new stuff. And so so it's it's a different contract. It sets up for them to be able to sign free agents you know, sign some of the best players. Chris Jones is going to be an integral part of this, is, of this team for the next three to five years. If I'm Patrick Mahomes, I'm saying I want him. I want some defense to play, you know, because defense correlates to offense. I want my guys out here. And, right, look, man, that, that, whatever he get guaranteed, it's going to be more than enough in life. If he got the right people around him, um, you know, get the right supervision and people who can educate and, and teach him, then, then, then he'll make so much money that he'll never have to. He might not spend a, a, a third of that money. So I look forward to, you know, this deal being, you know, something that can, the Kansas City Chiefs can be proud of for a very long
1: time. Is anyone worth five hundred million dollars?
0: Yes, Patrick Mahomes is. <laughs> LeBron James. <laughs> You bring Jordan back, give him 500 he's going to hit the big shot. (laughs) He's going to hit the shot. You know that.
1: Yeah, you might be right. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, uh, Many people compare Lamar Jackson to Mike Vick. Um, Runaway MVP last season. What do you say when you look at him going into year three, what do you say, okay, you're MVP, but you improve on this? Sky's the limit for you, Lamar. Well,
0: wow, uh, playoff play. And and I'll give him the pass because it's rookie year. You're still a rookie and, and and you're trying to find your way. Uh, you know, last year was a bit disappointing in, in the playoffs because I knew that the uh Baltimore Ravens would be in the AFC championship game. And that game just didn't look good. Um, you know, and, and the Tennessee Titans, they were they were flying high and they was feeling good about it was feeling themselves. And they came in and they got to win. It can happen in the, in the NFL, so I think Lamar duplicate what he did last year. His numbers may go up. That team is gonna get better. He's gonna have more confidence, and I know he's working hard. Um, I just hope guys, you know, during this pandemic and and this downtime, are getting their workouts in because now, you know, I realized at the end of my career how important working out was, and if I did it. Early in my career, skies are limited on what could have happened. You know, I I ran for a thousand yards the first year I trained. So, you know, these guys while they're young, got to stay in tip-top shape, man. That's gonna give them the best chance at performing at a high level.
1: And you know, so when critics when they will criticize him, they will talk about his passing and the reading, uh, the reads and uh, things of that late nature. What do you see uh, as far as his his arm? I and thought it passing. was
0: perfect. I thought it
1: was perfect. I talked to one of Lamar's coaches,
0: who coached me. And he said, first and foremost, he's very accurate. And secondly, like his mind, you tell him a play, and you give it to him in five minutes, and he knows the whole concept. He can tell you where everybody is. So mentally, his mental capacity is way up and through the roof, and he can retain information. The retention level is high. So he's a guy that you can go win with. And look, if if I was a general manager, if I was a coach, as a quarterback black, white and different. That's the first thing I'm looking for. If I give you this play, if I come back and ask you about this play in five minutes, can you tell me where everybody's gonna be? Or can you get up on the board and can you explain it? And can you draw it up? You got those intangibles, you can play quarterback and Lamar got that, so
1: enough said. Okay, what about another lefty uh, quarterback, Tua Tagovailoa, um, do you believe he can come right into the NFL and be productive?
0: Yes, because Tua throws a ball that's soft, easy to catch and it's accurate and I heard uh, a couple guys comparing to Steve Young and I always just thought his setup, his base was a nice tight base Um, playing in Alabama. You got guys who are some of the better players in the country. So, you know, as they, they, you know, the running routes and speeding down the field, you know, you, you just think, oh man, they got advantage over everybody else. So I started to look at tour like, you know, not thinking that he was, you know, just another quarterback, you know, I knew he had the skill from what he did as a freshman, but I'm like, he out-throwning some of the fastest guys in the country. And then I had to step back and say, but wait a minute, it's still hard to do that. It's because he's making it look easy to me. I shouldn't take for granted what he's doing. And then uh, I started hearing, you know, some analysts and, and, um, you know, writers comparing him to Steve Young. And then I see that comparison, and I'm, and now I'm like, oh man, this guy's going to be, he's everything the Miami Dolphins need right now. I couldn't be more proud of that organization for getting their guy. And uh, I don't care if tour don't play well in his first two years, his first three. Dolphins got to stick it out with him. They got to give him a chance. He'll make it happen.
1: Um, why no plethora of lefty QBs? <laughs> That's a good question.
0: Um, you know i i run camps every year all across the country and i might see three lefty quarterbacks out of five camps that may include close to a thousand kids it's just not a lot of them mm. and it's it's not it's really not a lot of quarterbacks around because you know first it's just a lot of responsibility and going to play db or receiver or running back is way easier um you know, the fame that comes along with it you know whether you're on pop Warner, high school, college, or pro, it's all the same. It feels good, but you got to be willing to put up the sacrifice, and and you got to be willing to put in the work to to be a, a quarterback. So, let alone it's not enough righties, and it's a uh, real shortage of lefties. So when we get one like Tua, we get a good one. We got to stick together. Matt Line and Mark Brunell, we all still we, we all still tight, man. We got, we got our little click.
1: Now Cam Newton is in New England. Uh, You heard him say Josh McDaniels will be able to call some things that he never uh, could do before, uh, especially with Tom Brady. Um, You've heard other Patriots say that marriage of Cam and Belichick will work as long as he buys into the Patriot way. Yeah. Um, yeah. how How do you see him fitting in in New England with Belichick, and will New England still be that dominant team there in the AFC East?
0: I like it. I like it. And I'll I'll say this. I think first and foremost, Bill Belichick will just kind of like calm Cam down. And, you know, it'll be all about football for Cam. Occasionally have his little excessive celebrations, which he like to do. That's Cam being Cam. But first, you're going to have to get to the end zone, you know, with Bill Belichick, with his system, um, you know, winning over the locker room. um, And, you know, of course, you know, it's, it's, gonna be a, it's, gonna, it's not going to be the easiest road travel for Cam, you know, because, you know, when you let the greatest player of all time, and I mean the greatest player of all time, um, when you let him walk for whatever reason, you're feeling really good about the guy that's behind him. And, uh, you know, of course, you're going to make that guy compete. Cam is the perfect guy to compete with him. And, and the fact that Cam has had so much fuel to the fire, over the last two years, people questioning this. You know, people saying, you know, why, why are you doing this? Or, you know, you, you know, your body's not hundred percent. He got the PSA. He Cam knows what's in front of him, and sometimes that could be dangerous. And some, and, and for the most part, it's great for a player who's very competitive. And I can see Cam just conquering this situation. It may take four games, six games. You know, we we pray and we hope the best for for Stidham, but. You know, we want to see what, what happens with Cam. And that and worst come to worst, if Cam don't touch the field this year, because Stidham plays well, Cam will go and be a, a free agent. Next year, he'll go sign with somebody else. And it's not the last of him um, because we, we just don't know. But I think Belichick can make that work,
1: man. It, it, it's going to be so cool to see. Mike, how crazy is it that, really, when you look at the top five quarterbacks in the National Football League right now, a lot of people – have most of them as black quarterbacks, uh, who can make plays with their feet, who have a rocket uh, for an arm. Because you've got Mahomes, you got Deshaun Watson, you've got Russell Wilson, you got Lamar Jackson. I mean, if you were starting a franchise, and listen, we know Mahomes is, is fantastic. If you yeah. were starting a franchise, which one of those guys would you, would you start with?
0: Wow, man. Oh, I mean, you know, when I look at all three of those guys, you, you you almost can say, like, give me either one of them because they all have share the same intangibles. I'm going to just say this. Give me a dual threat guy. Or you can give me a pocket pass and I can win. I said that before. But if you give me a dual threat guy because that's what I'm going to take, so it, I'll either take Mahomes, I'll take mall, I'll take D-Y, i I'll even take Tua. Those guys are going to give me the, the best chance at winning and the offense that I'm going to create. And it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be easy. And you give me a guy who's just competitive, that's all I need. You know, all my friends ask me all the time the same question. What type of quarterback would you need? I look and I tell them a competitor. Give me a competitor that can run a little bit. I, you know, I can deal with him not being able to throw and being accurate. Uh, we'll make some plays. So, yeah, man, you give me any one of those guys, and I'm going to make some hay, no doubt.
1: Well, you had so many uh, electric plays, man, in, when, in the league when you were in uh, playing. And a lot of people go right uh, to that play that you made against the Vikings in 2002. Um, but what play does Mike Vick look at and say, whew, man, I was a bad boy?
0: Oh, man. Um, I, I think it was a play against the Carolina Panthers. And uh I don't think my boy Thomas Davis was out there that day. I think it was a little before his time. I wish it was him because Thomas Davis, like, when the Carolina Panthers drafted him, we couldn't beat the Carolina Panthers anymore because they used to put Thomas at the wheel back and make sure I couldn't come out the back door. But in 2004, before he got there, uh, I was scrambling up the middle and two guys tried to tackle me and I split them and. One guy just hit my the heel of my right foot, and I spent. And I, I didn't know where I was at on the field, but when I looked up, the end zone was right there, but the ref blew the whistle. And I didn't know what happened, because I spent, and I didn't know where I was at. So I was a little, you know, discombobulated. But I seen the end zone, and I was about to shoot for it. And they called it dead, and on film, it looked so sweet. I was like, that's got to be the greatest play in football history. It was another play against the Bucks. Um I did two double spin moves in in the pocket, like two spin moves. And and that was pretty special, too. So my body used to just – it was out of control, but it was under control, if that makes
1: sense. Uh, Biggest difference between Atlanta's Michael Vick and the Eagles' Mike Vick? Uh,
0: In Atlanta, I was spoiled. Um, Face of the franchise, first-round pick. Um, Everything came easy. Uh, my legs were super strong. Um, I was just physically fit and believed in my abilities. Um, and then when I went to Philly, I just told myself I would work hard, I would train harder. Um, regardless if I had the talent, I would try to excel uh, in, in, in ways that I haven't before and try to do some different things and 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 you know just just be different. Don't I, I didn't want to be the same quarterback that I was in Atlanta, I wanted to take it one step further. So when I was in Philly, I just uh, paid more attention to detail. I studied more film and I wanted the game to come easy from a mental perspective, um, not easy from a physical perspective, because that's what I gave in Atlanta. You know, I was able to give a little bit of my arm and to give up my body and rush for 100 yards a game or 75 yards on average. In Philly, I just wanted to get it done through the air. I wanted my teammates to enjoy the game enjoy the Florida game, uh, and, and get the fruits of their labor through their hard
1: work. Yeah. So the game you know, gets taken away from you in 2007 uh, when you get convicted of the dog fighting stuff. 548 days in, in prison, Mike. Can, can you even describe what's that like? What is day in day? What is every day like when you're in a federal prison out in Leavenworth? Kansas for a year and a half. What is that like? I mean, you walk in there? Yeah. You're a star. What is that? Like? Yeah, I, I walked in and, I, and
0: I'm like, all eyes on me. You know, everybody sizing me up. I'm not the biggest guy in the world. Um, so I didn't know what that meant. And I was just like, you know what? I'm here to, you know, do what I got to do. And I got to get back to doing what I what I love to do. And, um, you know, having it all taken, taken away from me was very humbling. I will say, but I feel like in my life up until that point, it could have been worse. Um, what I was engaged in, uh, some of the people I had around, some of the incidents that happened, um, it could have been worse. I could very well not be sitting here talking to you this day. And that's how reckless I was. I didn't understand, um, you know, playing in the NFL was a privilege, not a right, uh, and, and You know, everything, I was just taking for granted. I had more money, I thought money could buy me out of every situation. So when I was in prison, I was just humble. I was just like, you know what, man? I'm just like every other man in here. I gotta come out and I gotta prove myself. It won't be the easiest road travel, um, but you know, I'm very committed. And if every day got a sting, it's gonna sting. And I cried a lot of nights, tears, Mm. tears. My wife will tell you, I cried tears a lot. I broke down a lot, but I broke down to become stronger. And then I started to strengthen, you know, my mental capabilities. You know, I started reading more, I started helping other inmates, with things that they were trying to get accomplished in their lives, we built, we talked, And I just became a better man, you know. Um, So, you know, I won't say, I hate to say that I wouldn't change that part of my life because I would, but I wouldn't change the lessons that was learned and, and how, I had to go through that that point in my
1: life. Do do people try you when you're in prison or were or, or you the type no. of guy where they said hey look this Mike Vick don't nobody touch him.
0: No I had an altercation in the basketball game. So guys <laughs> first of all we won the championship. Okay. And I was young fresh you know I'm still right. dunking I'm still getting right up, you know. And, I, and I'm playing you know I had my, my, my one of my guys who's like Scotty and, and Pimpin that's what they call yeah. us. You know, he like said I tried to pay my way through a football, through a basketball game, which was false. But that was that was a little altercation that we had, and we laughed about it. You know, you know, days later. But man, for the most part, man, guys in there are just trying to, they're just trying to come home, man. They want to yeah. get home to their families. They don't want to get write-ups. They don't want to fight. They don't want to cause harm to anybody. Uh, we all try to understand why were we there. I knew, you know, and, and a lot of those guys in there, they gave me a hard time because they like, look, man, you're supposed to know better. Oh, wow. You know, you're supposed to be more responsible. Yeah. Like, you, you look at what you did to yourself and your family, you got all this opportunity. So I got that a lot. Yeah, I got that a lot. But, but that helped me grow. And uh, we all tried to help each other grow.
1: I thought it was interesting because I was watching the Thirty for Thirty on you, and they talked about in the Thirty for Thirty that there was actually a police car right outside your, the big home that you had there in the suburban area of Atlanta, and they were watching you and the activities that you and your boys had going on, and you were like, "Yeah, they hey, maybe it's just for protection." I mean, you you didn't it never even crossed your mind that they God. were watching you, watching you.
0: Yeah, I I mean it, it did, but like I say, when you got Everything in the world, you don't care. You know, I just felt like money could get me out of anything. And I'm just being truthful and honest with you. I felt like money could get me out of any situation. Um, Don't worry. I got you. I got you. And I got you. And hopefully y'all got me. Um, But so I never never stopped and, and thought about, you know, what I was doing. And, like, I feel like that was the reason why I had to be set down. Um because I had too much in front of me um and, and it wasn't about you know the money that I had, you know when I think about it, it was about the people who had committed so much to me and believed in me and and regardless of money or any situation, told me that they loved me genuinely as a as a man, and I know because when I came home and they were still there for me mm-hmm. uh so you know, I was just a hard head man, and I'm so glad that I could talk to these younger guys who are coming in and playing good football and respecting their coaches and their teams and the, op- the opportunities that they've been given. Uh, it, it's like a joy to me to see them doing the right thing, man. And, uh, you know, that's the way it has to be because they'll continue to teach and the younger generation that's coming up and following them are following
1: their footsteps. So so I heard that Tony Dungy had came to visit you while you were there in, in prison um, and talked to you and things. Who, who do you credit to allowing you to get back into the league who was the guy
0: Uh, I, I say, I said first it started with Tony um, because Tony he um, he came into to Leavenworth and we sat down and we talked for like an hour and, and you should have seen all the guys looking out the window trying to see Tony <laughs> man it was in the basement I was in an amazement and and uh, you know just the, the calm cool-spirited man who you know who, who I could tell was all about you know the right principles, morals and values in life. And, and I'm like, man, I, I want to be, the, I want to be like him one day. You know, I want to be that guy. And, uh, you know, between him and, and, and Roger, uh, Arthur Blank, um, Jeffrey Lurie and, um, and I'm missing Andy. You know, Andy Reid, they all came together. And I know they all talked, you know, everybody was, you know, having conversation on how do we make this happen and do it the right way and not not force Mike into a situation where he have to come back and play. I was a little upset about that, um, but I couldn't complain. I felt like I could come back and jump right in. Uh, I seen some starting spots that was open out there, and I wanted to attack. I wanted to get back and prove. You know, but it wasn't about that. You know, it wasn't about me and my football skill. It wasn't about my talent. It was about me, you know, changing as a human being, uh, you know, being empath- empath- empathetic, um, you know, and having sympathy at the same time. And and that had to show. You know, I had to show. You know, what I did, um, I didn't want to I want, I didn't want that to be my legacy. I didn't want young kids to say, okay, well, we can do that, or you know, that was cool. No, it wasn't. You know, so you know, if I would have came back and jumped right back into the sport and started playing again, then it would have looked like everything that I went through was a joke. And uh the fact that I had to come back, I didn't get paid a lot of money. You know, I had to work for everything. That's the way it was supposed to be. And I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. And, uh, you know, thank God I had my wife there by my side to support me through and through. Uh, She was the rock and I had my kids, man, and I could look at every day and be motivated.
1: Is it, uh, and, and, you know, listen, you came out and Man, you you're now an animal rights activist. You did all, everything for the humane society. You still do stuff for them. You I mean you did everything and there's so many yeah. people who love you, still love you. Does it bother you that there is a a a section of people who will always hold that against you?
0: No, it, it doesn't bother me. Um <clears throat> you know, I, I have done everything in my power um, and will continue to do everything in my power to um You know, I won't say make amends because I felt like I did that years ago to continue to implement change. And that's, you know, with humanity, you know, and and, and animal welfare, you know, it won't change. You know, I continue to do work within the animal welfare community. Uh, I'm in the process of starting my own prison reform program, which stay tuned. It's going to be very amazing. We're going to help so many uh, men and women be able to transition back into society with the help that they need. Uh, That's coming soon. Uh, We're working on that with the NFL right now. And um, I'm going to continue to do my part, Brian. I want to continue to help uh, people who don't have no help or don't have any hope and uh, because it's there. It's there. I feel like there's enough prominent people in the world, you know, starting with the league, and and it's enough to go around, man. Like, the only way we're going to be able to inspire change is by making change so we have to go out into these communities and we have to find out what the problems are and how can we help this group of people and what groups need help and you know I, I t- take pride in uh, you know the Boys and Girls Club uh, and rec centers and, and you know trying to refurbish them and make them a place where it could be a sanctuary for kids where they can come and feel good about being there and safe they got you know, I won't say video games because that take up a lot of time, but they got computer labs and they got workshops and they got mentors, you know, so the rehabilitation of uh teen centers and rec centers is something that I've been focused on. So a lot of good stuff, man. And it's not about me anymore. I'd have had my, my fair share. You know, my wife is good. Family is good. You know, I'll be collecting little pension soon, you know, 401k <laughs> or something, you know. I, just touch my 40s, man. So I'm feeling good about life, you know. It could like a naughty couple years. Life is good. Life is
1: good. <laughs> you, you sound like Drake and Future. Life is mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Uh, no what did you think? We had Donovan McNabb on the podcast. He talked about how he called you and said, look, man, come to Philly. You know, be my yeah. backup now. I think it was 2000 and my – you got to have a lot of confidence in yourself to call a Mike Vick to say, yo, come to Philly, be my backup. Uh, because hey, look, we we've already seen in hey in in Green Bay with them getting uh, drafting Jordan, everybody's like, oh boy, yeah. the writings on the wall. But that that, yeah. that that took a lot of confidence for I guess Donovan McNabb to call you and say, yo, come to Philly.
0: Yeah, well, I think co- the confidence that Donovan had in himself uh, nothing could supersede that um, from day one. From the time I, I walked in, we just started working hard. I, I seen Donovan's regimen work out the way he he, he trained uh he came in early six thirty you know he he just lifting weights, and he you know he's in the hot tub and he's taking care of his body and i'm like man this this is the way you supposed to do it and I felt so good afterwards i i I learned so much from being around donovan and um you know we we had such a great time together, you know he was funny, you know uh sometimes too funny and, and but <laughs> But always just the life of the party, man, and 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 very intelligent, very smart, you know, and and always put forth that effort, man, and you know, I was I was honored to be able to step in at quarterback as a Philadelphia Eagle. Um, I'm glad I didn't just step in right after Donovan, you know, Kevin Cobb, you know, he was he was there to pave the way, and and he was there to um, pick up what Donovan left off, what left off, and it didn't work out. So I would have felt a little eerie doing that. You know, I'm just glad it worked out the way it did because, uh, you know, Donovan, man, he helped me out a lot in my career.
1: Um, Now, Carson Wentz, you know, you look at the Eagles now, they go get Jalen Hurts in that second round. We talked to Donovan about this. Should Carson Wentz be concerned with Jalen Hurts who says, I have every intention to come into Philly competing and contributing to this football team this upcoming season?
0: Yeah. If, if Jalen Hurts would have said anything else, I would have dialed his number and told him to retract those statements because that's what you want the National Football League to do. You're there to make your team better. And if if it's the case where, you know, hopefully nothing happens to Carson, he got to step in and win a couple games, you know, take a page out of Ted, Teddy Bridge, what a book, book from last year. Teddy stepped in, played great, won a couple games, and, and it's going to pay dividends for him you know, throughout the rest of his career. So um, I I think Carson, uh, I I think this year will be a a rebound year for him. You know, deck stacked against him, a lot of pressure on him. You don't want it any other way. So I expect him to perform, but I expect Jalen Hurts to push him really hard throughout the course of the season. And that's the way it's supposed to be.
1: You know, one of the things I think Donovan was talking about when he had him, he said, is, you know, if they use him in so-called gadget plays and they bring him in on, uh, let's say, on the third down and take Carson out, they bring Jalen in, he kind of runs, runs the option, so to speak, or whatever, does some kind of gadget. He said the the problem with that is if he he keeps getting first downs or scoring touchdowns on those (laughs) kind of plays, all of a sudden that Eagle fan base is going to say, we want more.
0: Yes, and then you'll start seeing his, his jersey in the stands, and that's when you know times are changing. And Donovan's right. Um, you you let him go in there, and, and he picking up seven or eight first downs a game and making dynamic plays, they're going to want to see that full time. If there's anybody that knows what that Philadelphia Eagles crowd can be like, it's myself and Donovan McNabb. He know more than me. He was there for 11. You know, I was there for only five. But – you know, they wanna win and they wanna win now. They want excitement and they want it right there on the spot. And uh if you're not producing, you'll know within the first two drives. Like it they don't they don't wait to the end of the first quarter. You're gonna get it after the first two drives. So it, it's a great environment to play in because you know you have to come play. And if you come to the Philadelphia Eagles and you're starting quarterback, you know what you're up against. So you just get you just got to embrace it. You got to be ready for
1: it. We always, uh, uh, people who watch, who listen to the podcast, we allow them to submit questions. We got a number of them for you on Twitter Amazing. and Facebook. And so I'm going to go here on Facebook. This one's from Vince. He says, who was the best high school quarterback out of the Tidewater area? Was it you, A.I., Allen Iverson, or Ronald Curry? Ronald
0: Curry was the best high school quarterback in the history of high school football. Wow. Now I don't know about the origin of high school football. Maybe I need to look it up tonight and when it originally started. But it was never a quarterback better than Ronald Curry. Just look up his stats. I watched this guy. I idolized him. as a, He was a freshman. I was a freshman. I idolized the things that he did because he did it so well. I never seen um, a freshman you know, uh, against the toughest competition, play his best football. And, you know, it's still kind of disturbing that he didn't go far in the National Football League as a quarterback, he ended up playing receiver, but that goes right. to show how good he was, the greatest quarterback I've ever seen in high school and still played nine years in the National Football League. So that tells you what type of athlete he was uh, in high school. So I'm Ronald Curry for sure.
1: Wow. Um, this one from James, he says, do you feel like you're the reason why the NFL wanted players to have a dress code because of the way you were dressing uh, in, in your Atlanta days?
0: Well, um, I will say this. There was a dress code um, when I got to the National Football League. And uh, all the older guys, they wore suits to the game. And, uh, and I'm just going to tell them the truth. I just, it, it just wasn't my era. It just wasn't me. Um, the suit game wasn't—it wasn't my style. Like I wanted to wear what I wanted to wear. I always, I rarely had a chance to wear clothes anyway because I spent all of my time in practice. So the, the clothes that I did uh, buy, I was fortunate enough to buy. Um, you know, I wore some of that on game day. So that I, I can't take people back, but you know, it might have been iceberg or whatever the era was, polos, whatever. Yeah. You know, but but as I got older, and I started looking at the suit game. You know, in, in year ten, eleven, twelve, I'm like, man, that's really cool too. Like, he 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 looked pimp player right there. He looked really <laughs> really good. Like, like I, I, maybe I should be dressing like that. I should be dressing like that, and I'm to dress like that. And I and I switched it up. So yes, me being young, uh, I think I never I never thought the league enforced it really hard, and and my coaches. It never really cared about it, and I don't think coaches around the NFL make a big deal about it. They want us to be comfortable, so that's cool.
1: Uh, Franklin uh, from Facebook asks the question, what made you stand up for Riley Cooper when it seemed like everyone on the team wanted him kicked off the team?
0: Um, because I stood up for Riley um, because right then and there, I wanted us to start finding ways to help Riley if there was an issue with Riley Cooper Um, and and the fact that he didn't get cut right on the spot. I knew he was going to be with the team for the remainder of the season. And I just seen such shame in his face uh, when we went to lunch the next day, because nobody sat around him. He sat by himself. And I'm like, damn, I got to be the one to try to help this man or try to. I can't help him. He can only help himself. But if this is a teaching moment, a learning moment for us, then, you know, we got to help this man out. And uh, I I think for the most part, we all kind of pulled together and uh, it was never talked about throughout the rest of the year, but it was never forgotten. So I will say for the most part, my teammates was very mature and we found a way to move on from it. Um, But I, I don't think they ever forgot about it.
1: Austin from Twitter asks, best defenders you went up against?
0: Uh, Warren Sapp, hands down. Um, the best defender I've ever played against. Uh, I was fortunate enough to not have to play against Ray Lewis um, in the, the first couple of years. I didn't have to play against Ray head-to-head head until my 11th season. Uh, so I got I got fortunate. Um, and Julius Peppers. I couldn't get away from him. Yeah, I could not get away from him. His, just uh, we call him Stretch. Call him Stretch.
1: <laughs> he get you. he you. Okay, Michael Vick, it's time for the last segment of this podcast. We call it The Last Stand. I'm going to give you a series of questions. You just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready, my brother? Yep, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Who was a better quarterback, the Falcons' Michael Vick or the Eagles' Michael Vick? Falcons, Michael Vick. Okay. In your prime, who wins the 40, Mike Vick or Lamar Jackson? Hmm. Michael Vick. (laughs) Did you always use yourself when you played Madden? No, I used
0: Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Really? Yes, yes.
1: Wow. Okay. The passive
0: vision was this wide. They had the (laughs) wide passive vision. They know what I'm talking
1: about. If you played in the league... Right now, what would your Madden rating be?
0: 99. (laughs) (laughs) 99 club for sure.
1: (laughs) You and Allen Iverson, boy, y'all had so much influence on the culture. Y'all both rocked the braids. Y'all rocked the jewelry, the jerseys. But my question to you as we wrap this up, who had more drip? Allen, without a doubt.
0: Really? Allen, when oh man, his drip game. I seen him one night at the club, and I just thought he was like the biggest rock star superstar ever. Like he helped my drip, my drip, moment, <laughs> my drip was a drop compared to what he had. Like yo, they was just
1: lined up.
0: I mean, superstar <laughs> status all day. Allen
1: that is tremendous, man. Uh Mike Vick. And I mean it when I say you were an innovator when it came to the National Football League by the way you played that position. And I'm proud of you because uh, everything that you have done that you will do, uh, you need to be commended for that, my brother.
0: Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate that, man. I enjoyed every
1: minute of this. Absolutely. That is what we do here on The Last Stand Podcast. We bring you the biggest names in sports, and none get any bigger than Mike Vick. Mike, we certainly appreciate it, folks. We'll see you next week.